Good morning, everyone. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. It's page 1047 in the Church Bibles. If you'd like a Church Bible, just wave your arm around and one will be brought to you. Page 1047 in the Church Bibles, Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. And we have the first 24 verses allocated to us today. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he will be rejected, where he will be crucified. He knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, he will not leave it. And he has set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Isaiah 50 reminds us of that when in chapter 50 verses 6 and 7 it says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Lord God helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be suffering for us and eventually put crucified on the cross. And chapter 13 of Luke ends with him speaking about Herod, that fox, as he calls him. Actually, it's worse than that in the original because the word fox is feminine. He's calling him, him a vixen. In case you think that's being sexist, Um, when I say it's worse than it appears, um, it's almost equivalent to Jesus calling him a bitch. Now, uh, he's saying that because he knows what he's going to be like, what Herod is going to be like, and he says, go and tell uh, Herod that I'm going to Jerusalem and this is what I'm going to do, A, B, and C, and you can see it all. And uh, he's going to Jerusalem on purpose. And he also speaks about him weep- himself weeping for Jerusalem. Now we come to chapter 14. And here Jesus is invited out to dinner. It's very interesting in the New Testament. I think almost every time that we know that Jesus was asked out to dinner, he accepted the invitation. <laughs> I don't know if he ever told anybody no, but uh, he accepted the invitation to go out to dinner, even if it was from a friend or a foe. He said yes to them. And so here they are sharing dinner together, but it's not going to be a dinner in which there's a lot of idle chatter, at least not from Jesus. Jesus is going to speak directly to five people or five groups of people at this dinner, and to each one he will be shockingly blunt and pointed. He will speak very directly to them, very honestly to them. Jesus had that ability, didn't he, to cut through all the frivolities of men and speak very directly. And he would get down straight away to the important things and what needs to be said. He's often very, very blunt in what he says. But of course, he's also very compassionate in what he says. I don't know whether you saw the news this week that um, President Andrew Jackson of the United States is being removed from the front of the $20 bill. 
he's going to be put on the back of the $20 bill. And on the front, is going to, they're going to replace him on the front with uh, Harriet Tudman, a slave who, um, well, we won't go into her, the, her background. But Andrew Jackson was the seventh of the United States presidents. And uh, on one interesting story about uh, Andrew Jackson was this, that he, he, he one day went to church. And uh, he, he, the church that he went to was a Methodist church where the minister, at least the preacher, was Peter Cartwright. Um, this was in the 1800s. And Peter Cartwright was just a sort of circuit preacher in the Methodist church. And as he was about to go into the pulpit to lead the service and to preach, a little delegation went to him and said, by the way, we all think we ought to tell you that today President Jackson is in the congregation. So would you please be very concerned and very careful about how you express things and be very circumspect in your remarks. And uh, he was known for being a straightforward speaker, but he was told he had to be very circumspect in what he had to say. He didn't really care about too, too much about people's reputation. So when the time came for him to preach, he stood up and he started his sermon like this. I understand that Andrew Jackson, our president, is here today. I have been request, requested to be guarded in my remarks, so let me say, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. <laughs> Pretty bold, don't you think? Well, that's what he said. And you can read about more of it on the internet if you want to. He just wanted to be shockingly honest, and that's what he was. Actually, Jackson, who had come in with his bodyguards and his retinue and so on to the service and taken his seat when he spoke like that, he had he'd not been used to that. Nobody ever addressed him, at least since he'd been present, anything like that. But uh, afterwards, he sought out um, Peter Cartwright and went up to him at the back of the church and said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. <laughs> he didn't, as far as we know, Jackson didn't become a Christian, as far as we know, at that time. But uh, he had a great respect for Peter Cartwright because of his forthrightness. So here is Jesus at this dinner, and he, though he's a guest, he's shockingly honest, and he's blunt with these five categories. And the five categories are the, the Pharisees who were watching in verses 2 to 6, the guests who were attending in verses 7 to 11, the host who'd invited him, verses 12 to 14, a man who interrupted him, verses 15 to 24, and then the crowd standing around, verses 25 to 35. Though that last section comes next week, and I won't be saying anything about them. So to each of, him, each of them, Jesus is very blunt, and has, it also has something to say to us all. He knows that his days are numbered, and he's not too interested in what people think about him in the sense of whether they like him or not. He was concerned about eternity and what was important for these people to hear. You know, there comes a time when all of us must get the point of what Jesus is saying. We all like to think of Jesus as nice and lovely, and he was all those things. We like to think of his compassion and his love, and of course that is true. But we need to think too about the heart of his message, which is sometimes quite blunt when we're more concerned too with speaking to other people, when we're more concerned about what they think of us, that is selfishness. We must be concerned 
with what Jesus has to say. So let's look at these uh, one by one, these four categories that we're going to uh, consider today. First of all, the Pharisees and their false spirituality, their pseudo-spirituality. Verses 2 to 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. It was immediately clear that the Pharisees were there not to hear from Jesus, not to take in from, from Jesus, but to do in Jesus. And they set this trap of this man with dropsy, edema, fluid retention, which is often caused in those days anyway by poor diet and lack of exercise, and it caused much pain. But there was this man, and they placed him right in front of Jesus at the feast. He was right there. Verse 2 tells us that. Now just think for a minute about this feast. The man had invited everybody for this special meal. A lot of important people there. And to do that on the Sabbath day, it meant that he would have had to prepare the meal the day before. Because you could not, under Jewish law, prepare the meal on the Sabbath day. And uh, all the work would take place the day before. And the Sabbath rules said that you could keep the food warm if, it was, if there was no possibility of the cooking process continuing into the Sabbath day. If there was any risk of it continuing in any form, then you could not keep it warm. And consequently, the rules and regulations, um, the Mishnah, the Jewish rules, had some careful instruction about this. I'll just read a little extract. Food on the Sabbath day may not be kept warm by placing it in oil or dregs or manure or salt or chalk or sand, whether moist or dry. Nor must it be placed in straw or grape skins, flock or vegetables, whether damp or dry. They may be placed there if the food is dry. It may be, however, that they are put into clothes mixed fruits, pigeon feathers, feathers, or flax. And it goes on and on and on. And by the way, these things are still practiced by Orthodox Jews today. And uh, you, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you'd have a special attachment to your cooker in your kitchen at home, which allows the food to be kept hot through onto the Sabbath day, but doesn't continue its cooking, at least as far, that's as far as they're concerned. So it was true that for every Sabbath day, they had these Bizarre rules. And these are bizarre things that they had to uh, take notice of. So this meal was doubtless prepared the day before and everybody was invited to it. But planted right in front of him was this man with dropsy, with edema. Obviously there to see what Jesus would do. Because he, Jesus, verse 1 says, was being carefully watched while he was there. Every detail of his reaction was being taken in by the Pharisees in particular, but no doubt others too who were there. Then it says in verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, 
is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's interesting because the word Jesus asked, in the original, it's Jesus answered. That's what it's, how it's translated in the authorized version. He answered them, but they hadn't even asked, asked a question. <laughs> That's why it's changed here, because there's no question. So they, the NIV thought they'd better put Jesus asked. But if you look up, it means Jesus responded to what they were asking. That's what it actually means there. Now, that's interesting because he's responding to them. They didn't verbally ask a question, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. And consequently, when he spoke, he answered the unasked questions that were in their minds, what they were thinking. Now, there's some lessons here. It is right for us in sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors to be blunt, to be straightforward sometimes, certainly to be honest. And usually it is right for us to respond to people's questions when they ask us. You remember 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect and so on. Well, I don't know about you, but not too many people come up to me in the street or anywhere else and say, please could you give me the reason for the hope that you have? Not many people do that. But when you are talking with people, you know perfectly well that they've got questions about the gospel. They've got questions about Christianity in their minds. They never will ask them. So begin to think, what are the questions people ask? Those are the sort of questions that we can start answering, even though they haven't verbally asked them, just like Jesus did here. And it means, therefore, that we should initiate the conversation sometimes, not just react to the questions they Uh, ask. So he knew what they were thinking and he answered them. He provoked the conversation. And then notice verse 4, after saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? It says, they remained silent. They had nothing to say when he asked the question. So Jesus stretched out his hand and he healed this man. So he asked them this question. Verse 5, is if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say again. Nothing to say. What he's saying is, look, your traditions, you Pharisees, your traditions say that you could not heal people on the Sabbath day. They could be healed six days, but if you're ill on the Sabbath day, you have to put up with it until the next day. You cannot be healed on the Sabbath day. That's against the rules. But on the other hand, he said, you can help an ox. Elsewhere, it speaks about an ox or a donkey falling into a pit or a ditch. You can help them. This is just pseudo-spirituality, is what Jesus is saying. This is false. It looks as if you've got all these rules that make you spiritual, but actually you're not at all. It's just fake what you're doing. It's irrational. Now you say, well, thankfully we don't have those rules and regulations today. Do you know you can be imprisoned in this country for six months and fined 5,000 pounds for stealing a wild bird's egg from the nest? Any bird, any bird, not just the hawks or something that might be uh, threatened, any bird's egg, you can be put in prison for it for six months and so on. 
but you can have as many abortions as you like without threat. And you say, well, there's a difference, isn't there? I mean, one, one is a baby and so on. But you know, the people who do this so frequently, they're saying, well, in the womb, in those early days, it's just a bunch of cells. It's not a real person. There's no difference between those bunch of cells in those early days and what's in a bird's egg when the egg is laid. But you can be put into prison for taking a bird's egg, but you can't, but you can be, have as many abortions as you like. Now, I'm not speaking whether abortion is always wrong in all circumstances, and so I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is that the, 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 the understanding is false, an unbalanced view. These people, it was a pseudo-spirituality, false spirituality of rules and regulations. And Jesus, of course, elsewhere said that the law actually is summed up, not in rules and regulations, the law is summed up in this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Love is the heart of the gospel, not rules and regulations. So that's the first group, the Pharisees. Then there's the second group, the guests. Verses 7 to 11. Verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked up the places of honor, picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable: When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, "Give this man your seat." Then, humiliated, you will have to take the the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will, be, he will say to you, Friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's Jesus looking around in this dinner, this banquet, and uh, he was seeing what would happen. People jockeying for position in the banquet. Let's see if we can get as close as possible to the important people who've been invited, the important guests here. Now, what does Jesus say? Well, he simply says, just take the back seat. Because then the MC, the host, can come and say to you, come up higher. We'd like you to move up further into a more important, more prominent position in the bank banquet. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that he's not saying therefore just become a doormat and let people walk all over you. He's not saying that at all. Always hide behind the door as if you were the least and smallest and take no notice so that nobody takes any notice of you. What he's saying, verse 11, is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't jockey for position, prominence, importance. John chapter, uh, third letter of John. Do you remember the third letter of John? John is writing and he says that he's going to come back to them and he says, uh, I want to say something to Diotrephes because he loves to be first. And you know, it's easy on our committees or whatever it is, we want to be first. And we like to take the most important place. We always want to, some people always want to be the chairman or the person in charge. And Jesus' blunt message to them that they were more concerned about getting the right recognition than being the right person. More concerned about being seen to be important than humbly serving. 
That ought not to be, says Jesus. Muhammad Ali, the boxer, you know, you know, he had that saying, I am the greatest. And when he knocked out Sonny Liston, when he knocked out Sonny Liston, a day or two later, he took a first-class flight on the aeroplane, going somewhere or other, and uh, sitting in first class, preparing for takeoff, the stewardess walked down and noticed he hadn't got the seatbelt on, and they said to him, Please, sir, would you please put your seatbelt on? And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need seatbelt. And she turned to him and said, Superman don't need aeroplane. <laughs> but there's a little bit of Superman in all of us that we want to avoid doing what we're told because we want to be seen to be the important person. I heard of a... I heard of a preacher one day who received a letter, a preacher of a very large church in the United States, received a letter from somebody he'd never heard of um, saying that he, this man was going to come to his town and he would like to have the opportunity to preach in his church. And at the bottom of the letter he said, by the way, in case you do not recall my name, he said, I have been called one of the best ten preachers in the United States. And the pastor wrote back and said, would you mind telling me who the other eight are? (laughs) We like to be first. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. If you're proud of yourself, watch out. If you're proud of your position, watch out. If you're proud of your gifts and abilities, watch out. William Carey, the great missionary from Northampton, he um, went to India, you know, he was a a cobbler shoe repairer, and uh, he went to India, and though uh, originally an uneducated man, he taught himself Greek, and he taught himself a lot of other stuff as well, um, while he was mending shoes, but when he went to India, he translated the Bible himself into six different languages, the six main languages in India. He translated parts of the Bible into 209 other languages in India. And uh, he said about himself, by the way, he said, I'm not a clever man. He said, I'm just a plodder. I can plod. And he plodded and plodded and kept going. He said, when others give up, he said, I'll plod on. That's a good lesson for, for for us all, perhaps. But anyway, he came back to this country and he was invited to a dinner and the person who was um, host of the dinner was a very senior military man who knew of William Carey but didn't like him at all. And he introduced him by saying, uh, we have a guest speaker today, it's that shoemaker from Northampton. And Carey interrupted and said to him, pardon me sir, he said, I'm not a shoemaker, I'm just a cobbler. He just translated the Bible into six languages and 207 portions of it in other languages. But he wouldn't put himself on a pedestal. Keep in mind, everybody that you meet tomorrow, 
everybody that you meet this week will be better at you at something. Better than you at something. Consider others better than yourself, says Paul in Philippians 2. So they're the guests. Then the third group, the host who invited, and this is 12 to 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So there was a pretty good crowd there that day. And you can imagine the Pharisees, important people, the press were there, lawyers were there, star-studded invitation list, photographers and the paparazzi were there, no doubt, <laughs> the press. And it was all held in a semi-public place. I mean, it was likely to be a courtyard. That's why the crowds around it were able to see what was going on. And probably because there were important people there, they'd be hanging over the balustrades watching quite intently. But that's how it uh, operated in those days. Semi-public sort of thing it was. And so Jesus turns to the host and says in verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they'll invite you back. In other words, don't invite those who will do something for you, who can repay you back, who will invite you back again to their house. The trouble was, this host and these people were inviting folk for the wrong reasons. Nothing wrong, it may be very generous to invite people. But you can easily invite them for the wrong reasons. And this man obviously was inviting for the wrong reason here. That's why Jesus spoke to him. You know, the greatest way to give is anonymously. Not the only way, of course, and there are times when it's far more appropriate to give when you're known, but the greatest way to give is anonymously. Because then you don't get rewarded for it from, by the thanks and the recognition that your giving might have engendered. You only get a reward for service once. You can either get it now, and you'll get the praise and applause of people, and it's all over. Or, you can get your reward then, in God's presence, and it will last for eternity. That's what Jesus is saying here. When, uh, um, it says here, when the kingdom comes in, when there's the resurrection of the righteous, then you'll receive your reward. When I was at school, we had a carol service every year, which was held in the local Anglican church, large Anglican church, and the school went for the carol service. The parents and everybody else were there and so on. And Mr. Tomlinson, the headmaster, always sat in a special seat in the front row. Quite a prominent position. And they used to have a, an, a collection for some charity or other um, at that, that um, service. Mr. Tomlinson, year after year, did exactly the same thing when the offering came around. He got out his wallet up here, like this, opened it up, took out two £10 notes and held them up as the, 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 the plate came around for the offering. I better be careful, but I thought to myself, he's only doing that so he's seen to be giving £20, which was a huge sum in those days 
because I'm very old, but it was a huge sum in those days. Jesus says, when you do things to people who can't repay you, you will be blessed. Though they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of, of the righteous. Now here's this banquet. It's getting pretty tense, don't you think? I mean, it must have been quite an awkward banquet when you think about it, with Jesus saying all these blunt things to people. But he was speaking to them. Perhaps there were some there who were holding their breath. What's he going to say next? Who's he going to speak to next? But there's one man there who it appears to me anyway that he was thinking, well, I'd better change the subject a bit here. (laughs) This is getting a bit tense. I'll change the subject. And so when Jesus talked about the resurrection of the righteous in verse 14, he thought, I'll take that up. And yes, he says, one of those, verse 15, one of those at table said to, said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. In other words, let's talk about that. That's less contentious than the other things we're talking about. So now we come to the last one that we're thinking about this morning, verses 15 to 24, verse 15. One of those at the table who was with him heard this. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have but just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the roads and country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here's this man now. He's interrupting Jesus by saying, Yes, blessed is the man who will eat in the uh, feast in the kingdom of God. That's his comment. What he was really saying was, being a Jew, of course, oh yes, it would be great to be there. The implication was that the Jews, of course the Jews are going to be there in that feast. We're children of Abraham, the sons of Abraham. We're going to be there and that would be really great. But Jesus then says, let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about a dinner. He's in a dinner and he tells a story about a dinner, a banquet. Of course, in those days, they didn't have clocks so that when the, somebody was going to put on a banquet, they would send out invitations several days before. And then as the time got ready, and as the banquet got prepared, then they would send around the servants, because everybody would live locally, send around the servants saying, everything's ready, you can come now, it'll be great. Now that's what happened here. We're ready, time has come. But then verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. And notice it says they all began to make excuses. Can you imagine how deflating that would be for the host? Everybody made excuses, even though he'd prepared this meal. And uh, Jesus was, uh, think- if Jesus thinking, was thinking of those around the table, uh, I mean, he may have been thinking of those that he'd offended already, that, who were making excuses. 
Jesus was going to another banquet, you can imagine some of these people saying, well, if he's going to be there, I'm not going to. I don't want any more tension like this. So Jesus said three people. The businessman who'd bought property and said, I must go and see it. What a crazy excuse. He could see it in the morning or another day. But no, he wanted to see it then. Then verse 19, the farmer who'd bought five yoke of oxen, ten oxen. And he says, I must go and try them out as if you go and try them out in the middle of the night. But anyway, that's what um, he said. I'm going to try them out. And the third man said, well, of course I can't come because I've just got married. <laughs> My wife won't let me come. Some of the same sort of excuses that are used today. People who are invited to come to Jesus make still the same excuses even today. I've got to take care of my property, the things I own. I haven't got time. I've got to attend to my job. My job takes all my time. I haven't got time for Christian things in the church. I'm married. I haven't got time for all this stuff. I've got a married life to look after. So no wonder Jesus says, verse 21, that the man, the host, got angry. Now just pause for a minute. If this is a picture of God, can you imagine God getting angry because people said no? When, people, when we preach the gospel and people don't respond, can you imagine God getting angry? But that's what's implied here. He was upset. He was angry because of all these excuses. Because it's easy to make excuses about everything. I read this week about a man who was uh, um, driving down the road at 103 miles an hour. That's what he was clocked at, 103 miles an hour. And the police eventually caught up with him, pulled him over. And uh, he said, his excuse was, he says, well, I'm dyslexic. And he says, I couldn't tell the difference between 13 miles an hour and 103 miles an hour. As if you can't tell the difference between traveling at 13 miles an hour and 103 miles an hour. But that's it. people make ridiculous excuses. These people made ridic the ridiculous excuses. So Jesus says, go and invite the others. People on the streets, the peop ordinary people, the, the blind people, the lame people, the crippled people, poor people. Why? Because they can't invite you back. They can't repay you in this feast. They can't even have jobs in which they have a lot of promotions that will take time and so on. Invite those who don't make lame excuses. And so not many rich, not many noble, not many wise, not it doesn't say not any, but not many are part of the kingdom of God. Because those who are rich, those who are noble and wise and have all these prospects and properties, it's so easy to be distracted by them. That's what Jesus is implying here. And then he says in verse 23, I want my house to be filled. I want my house to fill up. He's talking here perhaps about Jews and Gentiles and because the Jews didn't respond to Jesus, he says, take the gospel, the gospel will be taken to the Gentiles, which is what Paul speaks about later on. They're not initially included. So God today is filling his house. And you're invited. Are you saying yes? Or are you saying, well, I've got this to do, and I've got that to do, and I must look after this. I haven't got time for that at this time. I'm distracted by many other things. Well, that's the first four out of five that Jesus dealt with. And next week, he speaks to the crowd who are standing around this feast 
and we'll continue the story next week.